We don't think a lot about decisions. I mean, decisions are an everyday part of life. We make decisions throughout every day. But let me ask you this morning, as you reflect on decisions that you may have encountered throughout your life, have, have you ever been asked a question that you knew the answer, but for some reason, one reason or another, you just didn't want to give the answer? happens every Sunday, doesn't it? But that notwithstanding, the, uh, the kids, some of my grandkids, I don't know, I get them all mixed up. There's so many of them. Uh, they had, had it on Facebook this week, that very thing. Um, they said, uh, two of the girls had said, uh, did, you ever, uh, did you ever get called on in class? And, and just just couldn't answer. And it had the picture. What do they call it? A meme? Is that the way to say it? Meme? Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> and, and of course, the picture of the meme is uh, this guy with this, this frightened uh, you know, look on his face. But yeah, I, I suspect that we may have all, um, everybody except me, uh, <laughs> As I always tell you, if I, if I don't know the answer, I'll make something up. Right? So everybody comes away pleased. Uh, yeah, so the, the, you know those things happen. Have you ever found yourself in a place, though, have you ever found yourself in a place where, where you know the right answer? You know the right answer to the question, but you know, you know that that right answer is not the popular answer. The right answer is not the one everybody else wants to hear. And so, most often, we just remain silent. Rather than incur the displeasure of the group. Rather than displease the Peers, even though we have the right answer, we just remain silent. We're actually reading this morning from Scripture in Luke chapter 14, a situation just like this, that, that very situation. In Luke chapter 14, we begin at verse 1. We're told that one Sabbath, when he went to dine, he being Jesus, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, 
will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. It is interesting to me that Jesus, as, as the gospel writer Luke records it, that he had set the stage. He had, he had prepared us for this very situation back in chapter 12. Look at me, look at with me, if you would, in Luke 12, 8. Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? It, it was to me. It just, it just, oh, give me chill bumps. Jesus had set it up long before this situation was actually to arise. I mean, I mean, what is Jesus? Some kind of prophet or something? Jesus, Jesus now, he had taught, you know, he, these are his words. We read here in chapter 12, Jesus teaching these things. And now here in chapter 14, we have recorded where Jesus puts into action what he has taught. Jesus now sets before us how, how this works out. Jesus gives us the example, if you will. And let me assure you that you will fully appreciate the impact of these events, this particular account, if you focus on Jesus. If you give attention to what's going on with Jesus in this situation, you're going to see what God's intent is in communicating His Word to us in this situation. Now, um, I intended to bring one up here with me, but we're, we're going to study on Wednesday night a book that is called Biblical Theology. If you do not have a copy, there's, there's ample supply on the table. Pick one up as you leave this morning. Even if you do not expect to be able to participate in the Wednesday night study, which I certainly hope you will, but, but this will be a blessing to you. This, this will lift your eyes to that which God purposes, God intends in the life of His people. Biblical theology. We had a, a good introduction to it uh, this past Wednesday night. When a preacher pauses like that, you're supposed to say Amen. Biblical theology. And, and, and this is going to guide you, lead you to understand what God is doing throughout the Bible. Spoiler alert, 
Plug your ears if you don't want to hear. The answer is Jesus. You'll love this book. <laughs> so, so we see as we look, as we give focus to, to what Jesus is doing here, I, I think we, we should appreciate that, that Jesus kind of makes a, a few decisions here. Jesus has choices. And Jesus makes a decision to say and to do what he says and what he does with, with, with good basis, with good understanding, appreciation, and knowledge of the situation. For first of all, Jesus is responding to a need. Jesus decides to do what he does and say what he says because there's a need. And thus it has always been, and thus it shall always be, that that which Jesus says and that which Jesus does is because of a need. And so the, the scripture says, behold, right? And when we read that word, we don't just gloss over it and say, oh, that's just a conjunction or some other part of speech. <laughs> behold means, look, I hear. For us Georgia folks, right? Pay attention. Something important is happening. And behold, there's a man with dropsy. Now, I had to look it up. I had no idea what dropsy was. Uh, and uh, so what it is, is it, it's edema. Is that better? <laughs> swelling, swelling, retention of fluid. And, and the best I could come up with, kind of in my mind, tells you, have you, have you heard of the disease elephantitis, right? You just swell up. That's this guy. So, so Jesus walks in to the home of, of this important Pharisee, a ruler, and behold, I mean, this is saying, there he stands. Some have suggested that that he was a plant, that they, they had intentionally put this guy there in front of Jesus. Behold, what's Jesus going to do? So Jesus sees this man, and he sees a need. He sees a need that this guy would have some relief, that he would be healed. But there's another need that Jesus is going to address this day. And that's a need of his host, the one who has invited him to dinner, and the other guest there that day. And I would suggest to you that their need was far greater than the man with dropsy. And we'll get to that. So Jesus bases his decision to say what he says and do what he does because, because there's a need. But then, then likewise, Jesus does these things, says these things, because Jesus has a sense of compassion, a sense of love. Certainly for the man with the physical sickness, the one who was in need of healing, the one who was suffering with this physical malady. 
But likewise, I would suggest to you that Jesus has compassion for those with the far more fatal condition. And Jesus expresses this compassion, his decision to, to be compassionate. And he does so by healing the man with dropsy. Now this, this had to be spectacular. I mean, this had to be just, just amazing, miraculous. The guy swollen with, with body fluid all over where he had just swollen up and Jesus heals him? What did that look like? I don't know. Huh? But it had to be amazing. But you know what? I don't think that this account is really all about Jesus healing the man with dropsy. Because the, the account kind of goes, Jesus healed him and then he left. And, and so he's, he's, out of the, he's out of the picture there. Jesus demonstrates his compassion. And he asks he asked two leading questions. Two leading questions. Now, some of y'all might be more expert at this than, than I am. Likely you are. But a leading question is a question that requires an answer. But it's also a question that has the answer in the question. Is that right? Is that what a leading question is? Makes sense to me. Um, did you ever watch uh, Perry Mason? The, the, nah, it goes back a ways. But, uh, any of the lawyer shows, uh, Law and Order, right? Yeah. The, 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 the attorney has to ask special permission from the judge in order to ask leading questions. Dick, did, did, did you go to Dunkin' Donuts this morning? That, that's a leading question, right? I mean, I know Dick went to Dunkin' Donuts. I, I could say, where did you go this morning, right? Any possibility. But did you go to Dunkin' Donuts this morning? Leading question, the answer is in the question, all right? So Jesus asked two leading questions. Remember this. These questions... <laughs> Thank you. These questions are questions that, that, that have the answer. And these are questions that require an answer. These are questions that require the respondents to make a decision and to express their decision. He asked, first of all, a very simple yes or no question. Answer, yes or no. The question, is it lawful? Now remember who, who's asking? A ruler of the Pharisees and a room full of lawyers and their Pharisees. This is, this is a question right up their alley, right? This is, this is their, uh, what do you call it? Their, uh, yeah, batted out of the park. Is it legal? They ought to have the answer to this. It's what they're all about. Is it lawful? According to the law of God, which God has made known, according to the, to the word of God, 
Jesus says, what does it say? What does it mean? Is it lawful? What is, what is God's position on this question? Based on the truth as God has made it known by His Word. You people know the Scriptures. You're experts. You have portrayed yourself before all of this community. You have portrayed yourself before one another. You have ex expressed, presented yourself as an expert on these things. So, so be an expert. Is it lawful? Second question, again, a leading question. And now he makes it personal. You love Jesus. He makes it personal. Which of, which of you, individually, you, which of you, you don't want to answer from the Bible, you don't want to get into the question of is it lawful, you don't want to express your, your knowledge and understanding, your expertise in the Scripture, which of you? Let's talk reasonable. Which of you, seeing that which is most loved, a son? Which of you, seeing that which is of most value, an ox? Which of you, seeing that which is most loved and that which is most value, valuable, would, would not do what, would not immediately do what is necessary to save that beloved, that valuable one from destruction? Which of you? What does your heart say? Right, we've, we, we left behind the scripture, is it lawful? Which of you, what, what does your heart say? What, what does your, would your mind guide you to do in this situation? You, you see the leading question? You see what the answer has to be? It, it's logical. Right? It's a logical argument. The answer follows logically upon the question. It's, it's reasonable. This is, a, this is a real situation. Who can't relate to this? Yeah, most of us don't have an ox. I got a dog that's almost that big. <laughs> yeah, just, just replace that uh, with whatever is the most valuable. Your car, your SUV. Right? In a ditch. This is a logical, reasonable... You know what? The question even presents a situation where expediency is at work. What's, what's the expedient thing to do? What a, what a wonderful question. Which of you... What's in your heart? What would... What would you do in this situation? What choice, what decision would you make? Now, I want to suggest to you that everybody in the room, everybody in the room knew the right answer to both of these questions. 
I think that's, that's the point. I think that's very much the point that Jesus is making here. The answer is as plain as the nose on your face. But I also suggest to you that anybody who reads this passage from the Gospel of Luke knows intuitively the right answer. Leading questions, the, the answer's right in the question. Now we know that, that these guys, these guys were laying in wait for Jesus. They, it tells us right off the bat that they were they were watching him closely. Well, you know what they were watching for. They wanted to, they wanted to catch, him, catch him at something. They wanted to, to refute him, to deny him. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this when he was invited. Jesus knew this when he accepted the invitation. Jesus knew this when, behold, a man with dropsy stood before him as he walks in the door to the place. He knew they were out to get him. And you might expect, you might expect that Jesus might reasonably withhold his mercy before such malice, before such evil intent. But that is not the love of God. Jesus doesn't hate these guys. Jesus loves these guys. Jesus has compassion for them as much as he did for the man with dropsy. Jesus loves them. And oh, how he must grieve at their reaction to God's love before them. And Jesus' words from Luke 13, 34 echoes through my mind. When Jesus cried, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing. I see Jesus in this room with these men confronting him. And, and I see his heart breaking. Fellas, fellas, you know the law. Fellas, your, your heart tells you what's right. And you're not willing. So Jesus makes his decision based upon the need that's before him, based upon the compassion that he holds, 
But be sure to know and to understand that Jesus' decision is perhaps most predominantly made based upon his mission. For Jesus is fulfilling that for which he was sent into the world. Jesus had read from the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue of Nazareth, recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse 17 and following, when, when Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was common knowledge. Believe me, the word spread throughout the region. For all that Jesus had taught, for all that Jesus had done in healing people, in, in feeding thousands, in teaching to, to the multitudes, for all that they knew, for all the people in this room knew, and all that they had seen and heard with their own eyes and ears, how could they not exclaim, Hallelujah! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And they would not. Jesus makes his decisions based upon need, compassion, and a mission for which he was sent. But look at the, the other decisions. As Jesus proposes these two questions, they have to decide. They have to decide, but their decision is so colored, is so colored by their, their prejudices. That which they, they think they know, that which they think they believe. And it, are, it is these things that in fact they are blinded. And while the leading questions have the answer right within the question, they're blinded by their prejudices, their false beliefs. The, the guy that invited Jesus to dinner, he's, he's a ruler. He's in a tough spot, right? He's got to, he's got to think about, he's got to consider his position Right? Amongst the Pharisees. He's a leader. He's a, he's a leader in decision making. It's almost, it's almost as if once he answers, then that is the answer. Right? We all know how this works. Once the leader answers, then, then all, the, all the crowd goes along with him. This guy's in a spot. And then there's the, the they of this text. They. They came 
they came with their minds already made up. They weren't there to answer any questions. They weren't there to listen. They weren't there to listen to anything. They weren't there to listen to what Jesus had to say. They weren't there to listen to what Jesus had to teach. Their minds were already made up. They knew everything they thought they needed to know. And so it was, Jesus was invited to dinner and they were watching him, watching him carefully. Luke had told us back in chapter 13 and verse 17 that these guys were, were Jesus' adversaries. Adversaries. I don't know what Webster's has to say about ab- adversaries, but that, that word sounds to me like enemies. Certainly opponents. I mean, it has the idea that there's two sides. And, and Jesus is on one side and his adversaries are on the other side. And then we read in Luke chapter 11, verse 53 and following. They were laying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Now that's, that's pretty descriptive of the situation that we encounter now in chapter 14. His adversaries were laying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Catch him, catch him how? Catch him so they can discredit him before the people? Catch him so they can deny that he is being consistent in his preaching and teaching with the Word of God? Catch him in doing something? I mean, catch him in, in a sin? Like, like hypocrisy? Yeah, they wanted to catch him. And so they were watching his every move, watching his every word. They wanted to catch him in something he might say. You remember what day it is? Our text starts off with telling us that it was on the Sabbath. I suspect most all of you have some idea about what the Sabbath was all about in the first century amongst Jewish people, particularly against about the, the Pharisees. But regardless of what sect they were a part of, they knew that the, the Sabbath was a day, a time, a place for worship. The Sabbath is is the Lord's day for them. It's the day when they are called to worship and they give that day as a sacrifice to the Lord. These are Pharisees who are very particular about what goes on on a Sabbath. They got a set of rules and regulations and strictures that are longer than your arm. This is the Sabbath, a a day of worship. And they 
they employ, they use the Sabbath to advance their own agenda. A mean, hateful, spiteful, malicious agenda. Blasphemy. That which they would accuse Jesus is the very thing they are guilty of themselves. Hypocrisy. Saying one thing and doing another. Remember the Sabbath day. And how's it end? And keep it holy. What do they do? What do they get for their evil intent? What did they get for their malicious watching, waiting, catching? They get a compassionate lesson from Scripture. A compassionate lesson from the Word of God. What does it say, Jesus asked? Is it lawful? What do you think? Come on, fellas, what does your, your heart tell you? Think for yourselves. Decide for yourself. And they remain silent. This is, this is what I would call the default position. The default position. It's, it's often, very often, the decision that we make in so many things. And on this day, they choose to remain silent. No decision is what they're saying, what they're thinking. But trust me, believe me, hear this. No decision is a decision. And particularly in this circumstance, their decision to remain silent says as much about them as any words they might say. Ignoring the facts. For here they knew, they had heard, they had seen prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. These guys truly knew the Scriptures. They truly, genuinely were experts in what the Bible said in the Old Testament, the prophets. And they had seen in Jesus... Time and time again, prophecies fulfilled in Him. They were ignoring reality. Here He stood. Here's the guy with dropsy. And I'm here to tell you, it's obvious. This guy is hurting. This guy's in bad shape. He is swollen all over. And Jesus heals him. In a moment, in a flash, in the, 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 the wink of an eye, the guy is better. They saw it with their own eyes. This is reality that stands before them. The reality that this is God incarnate who is doing God in the flesh doing this miraculous thing. 
They ignore the facts. They ignore that which they know to be true. Hypocrites. Posing as experts in God's Word and taking the coward's way out. Their silence condemns them as fools. The only answer, the right answer, is you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And everyone who has that answer, everyone who says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, would then say, Lord, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Wow. And so it is that that down through the ages, Jesus has presented this question, calling for a decision, calling for a response. What does the Bible say? What does your heart say? We make these decisions every day. Some decisions we give due consideration. Some decisions we leave to the default position. But decisions of life and death should never be left to default. For default is to choose death. Jesus confronts sin, convicts of sin, and calls for a decision. The Word of God confronts us in our sin. The Spirit of God convicts us of our sin. Our own hearts convinces us of our sin. What does the Bible say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What does your heart say? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What is your decision for Jesus? Father, we praise you and give you thanks for the power of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit. Accomplish that which is pleasing to you, O God. For Jesus' sake, amen.